0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Casted, our podcast at ITU about foundational questions of information technology. So, information technology transforms lots of things in the world, but it also transforms uh, disciplines in academia. Uh, For instance, transforming or modifying, at least, ethnography into something called digital ethnography. So, here with me to talk about that is the person who actually literally wrote the book on this, Sarah Pink. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. So Sarah has been a uh, leader of the Centre of Digital Ethnography at Royal Institute. I can't get this right. The at the Royal, at the Royal Melbourne <laughs> Institute of Technology.
1: Yes, the Digital Ethnography Research Centre. The Digital at the Ethnography. Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology.
0: Thank you very much. <laughs> welcome to Copenhagen and welcome to CASTED.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So, uh, and I guess. Basically, I need an introduction both to ethnography and maybe then to digital ethnography and cyber ethnography or cyber anthropology. All of these things may be the same or not.
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, So, we'll start with ethnography. Um, Ethnography is often described as a bundle of methods that are used to investigate people in parts of different societies and cultures. Ethnography literally means to write about people, um, but its literal use is really not necessarily strictly applied anymore. when We talk about what ethnography does and what people, ethnographers do. So we might start thinking about ethnography as being a bundle of methods that involves watching what people do, asking people questions, participating in what people do. It can involve interviewing, it can involve actually going for walks with people, um, talking to people while they walk, but also now much of my own practice as an ethnographer as well it involves video recording people, taking photographs of people or asking them to record or, or photograph aspects of their life so, so, so the
0: history here this really goes back to something like eighteenth century Germany where basically unemployed rich people uh, travel to Africa and study people there, and then there's I guess uh, some kind of Transformational shift at the turn of the last century with yeah. Boas, who, who mm. redefines both the method but also the objective, or maybe just the stance of, uh, of yes. ethnography.
1: Ethnography has evolved through a whole series of different approaches and stances and ways of theorizing what ethnography is seeking to, to find out and to look at in society. Um, and, and that continues to happen. Ah. I would I guess my interest is in much more is, is defining contemporary ethnography, which um, doesn't only mean ethnography of the contemporary, but it means a contemporary approach to ethnography. So for me, ethnography, as I, I define it, is an approach to researching with people, trying to understand their worlds, participating in their worlds. It doesn't involve studying people as if you are separate from them. It really involves studying people within a relationship with them. So actually participating and, and collaborating with them to produce new ways of understanding how they might feel about something, particular activities that they might do, and also that the kinds of things that they would never usually talk about. So for me, that's, ethnography is a core method for actually delving beneath the surface trying to actually understand the things we would normally never see people doing in their everyday lives. For example, in some of my projects, we look at people's everyday morning routines from when they wake up and get out of bed and what they do till they leave the house or their bedtime routines. Those parts of life you would never show to anybody else. But also those aspects of life that it would never occur to you to talk to other people about. So they might be very mundane, hidden aspects of your life. It might be how you actually know where things are in the dark, Um, How do you find the light switch when you walk through your house in the dark? Something that you know when you live at home, but something you don't know when you go to a hotel or to somebody else's house.
0: So many of these things would not be volunteered in an interview, for instance?
1: Exactly. You could never find out the kind of things that we seek to reveal in ethnographic research, as I define it, um, by doing a quantitative survey or an interview. I really love ethnography to actually happen exactly in the place where the things that we're interested in finding out about occur. So, for example, when we do research about how people experience driving and and how they feel about their cars and how they imagine their future cars and future autonomous driving cars, for example, we actually go in people's cars with them. We want to know what happens before they get in the car, so we follow them around their homes in the morning. Um, We go in their cars with them, we sit next to them, and we actually watch what they're doing up to a point, and video what they're doing as well, but really the most important thing is the dialogue that we have with people while they're doing the things that are most familiar to them in their lives. That
0: would require some delicacy, right, because you're inserting yourself into the, uh, into the very moment that the observed behaviour happens. Yes.
1: Um, it's delicate in the sense that we, we're there with people in their lives as things happen. And we, but we don't ask people to ever share things that they wouldn't want to show us. So we're very careful to navigate those situations in such a way that we're actually not observing what people would do when we weren't, we're not there. But we're actually collaborating with people to explore what they normally do when there, we're there, not there. there. There's some
0: kind of history mm-hmm. using words like respect for the subject yes, or something. Absolutely, that, that yes, That permeates uh, the um, yes.
1: th- what, eth- ethics of ethnography. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and in this kind of process, then um, we actually ask people to share... The aspects of their lives with, with us that they wish to share, they feel comfortable with sharing, but we also use their performance of things they would normally do as a way in which to help them to recall and remember and to think about things that they would never t- tell us or show us normally and that they were willing to talk about.
0: Is that the part you call reflexive or this feedback mm-hmm. that the observation itself generates maybe not a change in behaviour but a change in, what, reflection on part of mm. the yes. subject?
1: There's an element of reflecting on how our presence changes what people do. But within that, I would always recognize that as a researcher, I can only ever research people who are in a research situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because otherwise, um, they wouldn't know that I was there and it'd be a very different scenario. So I guess the idea is to understand what influence my presence has on the research situation, but also to recognize that essentially the research process is collaborative and that the people who participate in it are working with me—a
0: oh, collaborative between you as the investigator and the subject. And the
1: subject, yes. So th- I'm, we're working together to actually enable them to to investigate their own experiences and to recall things and to find things in their experiences that I will help them to talk about through my questions. So
0: this is deliberately—is subjective a good word here? Is, yes, is it's very deliberately subjective? subjective.
1: Yes, and it deliberately seeks to understand. From my perspective, so I need to try to understand what other people are experiencing. And I only have one core tool to use in that, which is my own experience of other things. So the idea is to actually also try to find ways in which to connect our own experiences to those of others, using forms of empathy, using forms of imagination. Of course, Mm -hmm. we can never know what it's like to be somebody else and to be in the situation the other person is Mm -hmm. in. But we try to, yeah, absolutely. But Mm -hmm. we try to get close in the most loyal and respectful way, so that we can then try to be able to actually write about their experience in such a way that it's, okay. we can communicate it to others.
0: Okay, loyal and respectful, yeah, I, I like exactly. that word. So, so in particular, you assume that the uh, subject is a valid source of information Absolutely. about the subject?
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. So so, it's, so the digital part... So so far, could still mean two things for me, right? It could be that you study the relationship of the subject... Oh, many things, actually, <laughs> with other people in a digital world, because I assume that yes. one of... I, I know that some of the things you study are relationships, and they are now mediated by and certainly informed yes, by... Yes. ...digital technology, and then the subject interacts with technology. Mm-hmm. But it could also mean that uh, dis- digital ethnography is good old-fashioned ethnography using digital methods.
1: Yes, there, there are two aspects of it. Both and are and true the, enough, mm, or...? But- there are probably more, but the, oh. <laughs> the underpinning, underpinning those two aspects of, of digital ethnography is the fundamental assumption that we now live in, in a context where the digital and the material are actually part of the same environments. So the digital material are brought together to the extent where we can't say that we're doing an, an ethnography that's not digital.
0: Because oh, we because need for to, most people... Yeah.
1: So, so underpinning that, we're accounting okay. for the fact that our environments are always digital to by, some by degree. Now. Yes. Um, so you couldn't have done mm-hmm. a digital ethnography sense. before there were digital technologies. So that means that our modes of doing research, so our, our research methods and our practices, inevitably have a digital element. The way we write ethnography has a digital element. has done for a long time because we write it on using our, our computers, our laptops or our desktops. And the way a- already we there is, it's interesting, <laughs>
0: because that, I guess, yeah. also has exploded, that it's not only sequences yes. of letters. You, you communicate yes, in yeah. many other ways now.
1: Absolutely. We disseminate our ethnography digitally. Um, and not just because we publish it in journals that have online com- components. We use social media. Um, we, we develop websites. All, all new modes of actually communicating about ethnography. So the world that we work in as ethnographers is a world that is inherently digital. And um, this also means that we use digital technologies as as modes of doing our research. So we use digital video, digital photography, um, digital audio recording. And that means we can share our videos as soon as we've made them. So if I was, for example, doing a piece of research with you about how you drink your tea, and we sit there and you drink your tea and I interrogate you about how you experience your tea and how you think about the taste and how you experience your last cup of tea and I ask you all these bizarre questions and you think, this is a woman, totally crazy. If because um, it should yes. have been about yes. coffee. <laughs> <Yes>. of course. <laughs> and, and, um, and then, once we've finished, I'll say, OK, look, you know, I want you to watch the video because I want you to be happy and I want you to be sure that the way that you've been portrayed in this is appropriate and that you've communicated what you want to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say, well, if i just upload the video and I'll send it to you straight away on my smartphone and you can receive it on your smartphone and check through it and then you can, you know, tag anything you don't like or you can edit it even and send back to me what you would like me to use in my research. And then I'll ask you, well, you know, now you've viewed your video, would you be happy for me to keep it in my research archive and analyse it? Would you be happy for me to use um, stills from it? Or would you be happy for me to show in presentations or can I put it on my website as part of my research findings and dissemination. And so those processes of actually engaging with people immediately and ongoingly in this research process have been really facilitated in, in fantastic ways, by the way, we can use digital technologies in the research process. Um, there are many, many other possible examples of way, the ways we might share or, or communicate with people in, in research, first on a face-to-face basis, but then we might extend it into that more online basis by exchanging materials and sharing. So that's one, one way that we would use um, digital So, so here's one way research. then. But
0: that, so it seems to be that you're deliberately not doing the following, equip a home with uh, lots of cameras and sensors. No. And measure the uh, behavior of 10,000 people no. in Singapore. And I in si- would be
1: very happy to do research with other researchers who do that and collaborate with them. But there are different ways of, of looking at the world. Sure. So this of, is why we're here. This is exactly yeah, what. Yeah. what so, so. so, who
0: would do what I just described? Who would do an objective, uh, large data, in, immersive is not the right word, but uh, um, ongoing twenty four seven data collection of how often the uh, how often the coffee machine is actually used yeah. on a Sunday?
1: It might be people who are interested in human computer interaction. Um okay. research in that area. It might be psychologists, it might be social psychologists who might do a very, very micro-analysis of all the actions and things that are said in those processes. Or it might be sociologists who are interested also in documenting those activities. I'd be really fascinated by their results. Um, and I, I love to work in big teams where different people do different types of research. Um, one project I worked on actually involved um, energy engineers developing new ways of monitoring and measuring energy use Mm -hmm. and measuring all of those things in people's homes. Now, what we did in that project, though, was to follow people around their homes with video cameras. And the difference for me is the looking from above and mapping out and the moving through. And I think this has a really interesting parallel if you think about the way that that human geographers work. Mm -hmm. Human geographers Mm -hmm. are often very critical of maps, of mapping. Um, because mapping flattens things. Mapping takes a slice across the world, looks at it from above.
0: As opposed to the normal geographers yeah. who love that. Okay, yes. human ge- okay and, with a strength but, and, the and emphasis then, on human yeah. geography. And then you mm-hmm.
1: think about movement, movement and the emphasis on movement in, in human geography. The idea of movement is about going through. Mm-hmm. And I really like that difference between the work that I do and the work that people who map out and measure and document in the other way I do because moving through enables us to actually understand life as it progresses through the paths that life takes and how it meanders through environments. And I think it's very important then to understand what happens when people start to move through an environment. What do they pick up? What do they feel? What do they sense? How does that actually feel like? We spend all of our lives moving through the world. Um, we experience the weather, we experience the ground under our feet... We use digital technologies as we move through. We might take our smartphone and we might be using Google Maps and we're moving through a physical environment or we might be taking pictures of what we've seen and uploading them to Instagram. Um, so this idea that we move through environments in which the digital and the material are all part of the same configuration and we are actually moving and weaving through those different aspects of our lives really, for me, informs the whole question of how we can go about understanding what it feels like to be in the world. So
0: as far as I understand, at least classically, uh, uh, location or embodiment are mm-hmm. important aspects of, of yes, ethnography. Yes, yes, And so are there n- new concepts I can use to... It seems to me that we know both are physically present somewhere, yes. but at least many of us uh, are also digitally present somewhere else, maybe yes, only for yes. glimpses of time, and yeah. that maintain several, I don't know, uh, instances of me on somebody else's phone mm-hmm. that is updated every few yeah, seconds. Yes, yeah. um, How do I reason about this? Are we now in several places at the same time? How how do the the concepts of location or embodiment or interacting with the world, uh, how can I express this now?
1: We're still feeling, knowing, sensing beings who are continually engaging with our our immediate environments. Um, But digital technologies enable that to become interwoven with different forms of presence and different forms of connection. Um, which, again, involve different ways of understanding and feeling and sensing the environments that, that we're in. So if you're walking through the, the street outside where it's probably going to be a little bit cold, it's a little bit dark, and you're feeling particular things as you're going through that environment and you're talking to somebody else on your smartphone, then you're, you're bringing into that particular configuration that you're experiencing at the moment a particular form of presence and also particular forms of emotions and feelings mm-hmm that then become configured in relation to all of the other things that you're sensing and feeling at the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I, I think I get the... Um, uh, so, so, so ethnography here, at least in the way you explained it to me, is very much a method that can be used as a tool in disciplines such as sociology or human-computer yes. interaction. Yes. And I guess, um, anthropology, classically, anthropology,
1: right? Geography. Is anthropology um,
0: just... Is there anything... Else in anthropology? Oh, of course. Okay, anthropology is split into cultural anthropology and
1: physical anthropology. Well, there orig- are well, in some iterations of anthropology, there are four fields, In the United States four-field anthropology is still quite um, dominant, which would be social, cultural, physical, and biological. Mm-hmm. I think oh, that might be the physical oh. one. No, there's, a, there's another one. Mm-hmm. But Obviously, I don't Mm -hmm. practice um, that kind of anthropology, Mm -hmm. which is why I can't even roll Mm -hmm. off my tongue the Mm -hmm. four fields. So I was trained in social anthropology in the UK. And um, that, for me, is the core of my um, kind of practice as as an anthropologist. But um, I guess my work has also gone much further than anthropology since my career started. And I've collaborated with many different disciplines. And I think that brings me back to one of the other core Questions around ethnography, which is where we started and i 'd like to come back to ethnography for a moment now, because yes, ethnography has was developed in anthropology there's a strong mm-hmm. tradition of, anto- of ethnography and anthropology, which are very much defined by anthropological principles and questions that anthropologists are interested in, but there has also in, in parallel or in relation been a strong core of ethnography and sociology, which has been slightly differently defined and developed, but as well there has been much ethnographic practice developed in design and design research. Um, so researchers and scholars in all of those disciplines actually think that ethnography belongs to them and that they are actually the discipline that, that does ethnography and that knows how to do ethnography. Now that's one of the reasons why um, the digital ethnography book that, that you referred to is called Digital Ethnography. It was actually written by a group of researchers coming from different disciplines And um, which included um, anthropology, cultural studies, and media studies. And, And in the book, we didn't consciously didn't want to define ethnography as being just belonging to one discipline. We very consciously wanted to represent an ethnography that could actually be changed by the way that it was. It was um, shaped by the dis- disciplines with it, within which it was being used at the time. So there was always a different inflection in the way that ethnography is practiced in relation to the academic and scholarly discipline and its theories that inform the particular project it's used in.
0: So the book is very much structured on, I don't know, domain, right? There's a chapter on <coughs> things, a chapter on yes. relations, a chapter on, oh my God, events and so on. And, and so these chapters do they map onto disciplines, or am I being overly naïve? No, now? No,
1: they don't. Maybe some of them are influenced more by different disciplines than others, but yeah. we actually have tried in each chapter to represent different disciplinary um, interpretations. Of course, some disciplines focus more on, on particular um, concepts, so, um, so there would sometimes be some dominance, but, um, but no, because we work as an interdisciplinary team, then the, the aim was to actually write about, for example, relationships. Um, from perspectives yeah. that encompassed anthropological approaches to relationships, more sociological and cultural and media studies approaches to relationships, and and, um, but, and also then to enable the, the readers and the users of, of the book to actually use our work as a way of actually thinking about, well, how would they, from their own disciplinary perspective, approach mm-hmm. those questions mm-hmm. as a digital ethnographer? Mm-hmm. So we wanted to provide a, a set of concepts and... Um, a set of methods and a methodological framework through which people could think about doing digital ethnography, but we didn't want to define um, how they should do digital ethnography or what they should do. I mean, I'm a strong believer that any book about research approaches and methods um, should be used by its readers, not followed. And it should be used to inspire, to enable them to think about what they want to do in their own work. Methods never finish when they're written down. And Methods I guess also always there's a. are ongoingly developing and changing.
0: It seems to me there's a strong tradition of not being dogmatic in exactly Absolutely. those questions yes, in yes, ethnography. Yes, yeah.
1: um, yes, we chose those concepts because they seem to be. They seem to address a range of different questions across a range of different scales, which mm-hmm. we thought would be helpful. Mm-hmm. And there are very for nice cases to, to to in each of them yes. uh, were wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, um, so. So let, let me get back to relations because, because mm-hmm. m- maybe we could just have an example to, to be a bit more concrete about yeah. this because now I've been uh, uh, learning everything about methods and, and disciplines. So, so, for instance, the way that the technology changes relations yeah. between people, I guess, a lot by the mobile phone. So the mobile phone, which, has, which is enormously popular, yes.
1: uh,
0: in particular in... Maybe the, the southern part of the globe, which mm-hmm. has really transformed many yes. people's lives, for better or for worse, and both uh, basically destroying some structures and also some some structures and s- s- how people communicate socially, mm-hmm. but also uh, reinforcing them. Yes, uh, I almost fascinating mm-hmm. that that this that this object works and seems to work everywhere and seems to be a really important important part yeah. of people's life. Mm-hmm. Which I, I was probably the last person in Scandinavia who got a mobile <laughs> phone, so, so to me this is a, this is alien. Yes, but, um...
1: yeah. I think people use mobile phones in very mobile f- smartphones in very culturally specific ways, and as part of the social relationships that are already existing in their worlds. Um, they make new forms of social relationship possible. But I think the important thing is to actually start to think about how they become embedded in the way that people... the social structures and the social relationships that people already have and how they actually enable people to maybe do new things within the structures of those relationships, but also how they support the maintenance of those relationships mm-hmm. as well.
0: Can you give an example?
1: Um, one of the projects that we've been working on in, in Australia... Um, which is called Locating the Mobile. It's an Australia Research Council-funded project. Looked at how um, people use smartphones in families, and in, in intergenerational families. Mm-hmm. Um, as, um, and one of the interesting things there was looked at how, how people used them as modes of um, coordinating travel, um, caring for people, mm-hmm. um, ensuring that people were okay, um, following and, and tracing where people were as a way of caring, not as a mode of surveillance.
0: But that also exists. And, um, right? in, some, in some societies, mobile phones very much has, become a, yes, a method of control instead. Yes,
1: yes. Um, but those are probably societies where um, there were already methods of control in place. So I guess the, the very interesting thing about our research was actually to learn about how the smartphone became integrated in enabling people to carry out um, modes of living together which actually um, enabled the feelings and uh, the processes and the relationships which they, they sought to have and which they already had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are ways in which there are differences because the technology enables different modes of relating to people. It enables people to contact each other at different times. It, um, your communications with people don't have to be synced in the same moment. You can leave a message and then you yeah. can get one later. But you could already do that with the answer phone. So we can actually see relationships between... Uh, what's the that, what's different that technologies used to the same evolved. degree? I
0: mean, I never used an answer mm. phone.
1: Oh, I think people certainly use answer phones to leave it, messages for each other, mm-hmm. yes.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so this is... Uh, so I, I understand that this is a... This is a that you want to study how people who are alive right now use technology that exists right now. Yes. Um, But um, what what would be interesting is, of course, to sort of use this as a starting point to reason about future technologies or emerging technologies. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, and that's exactly what we've been doing um, in our research, looking at autonomous driving vehicles and also looking at how people use smartphones in the present and how they combine them with other technologies to get a sense of... How some technologies are already being brought together um, in relationship to each other, which should be able to give us some clues about what kinds of technologies people might need to use in the future. So, so self-driving the,
0: self-driving cars are a popular theme at the podcast. I think we have at least uh, two or three conversations <laughs> really, about, yes. yeah, yeah, both sure, about sure. philosophy, artificial intelligence, yes. the uh, the. Trolley, yeah. Trolley problems are one of the, uh, oh, yes. one of the eternal uh, sources <laughs> of interesting conversations. So how does an ethnographer reason about that?
1: Mm-hmm. About the ethics of, of self-driving For instance, if cars. that's even a yes. topic. Yes, I'm, I think my starting point for thinking about um, if our cars are going to kill us or who they're going to decide to kill um, in an accident scenario my starting point would actually be to start thinking about what people will already have been doing to their cars before we arrive at the accident scenario. So how will people be using their cars already? Will, have people have always customized their cars? Will people actually hack into their cars to, to see if they can actually determine what the car will do in an accident scenario? So you..
0: So seeing that people actually mm-hmm. happily modify their yeah. phones mm-hmm. or all kinds and personalize, yeah. I guess. Personalize their phones a lot. Yes, yeah,
1: of course.
0: Uh, we might be mistaken in assuming that the that the autonomous car that leaves the factory floor is mm-hmm. actually the autonomous car that is going to be involved in an accident, yes. because it might have been personalized. Yes, including hacking, software hacking. Yeah, I don't know. I would maybe
1: I can imagine a whole small um, hidden industry growing up, um,
0: changing around, my perfectly yeah, utilitarian car into which mm-hmm. somebody has built in consequential ethics, yes. but they're uh, hacking it mm-hmm. so that it's actually some kind yeah. of Nietzsche car that protects yes. me instead of everybody else. But
1: think about mobile phones, when people used to want to, to break into their phones so that they could use them in, with other SIMs or in other countries. Right, right, right. There's a strong tradition um, of this. So there's, yes. I think the mobile phone is a fantastic um, technology to look at, or the smartphone is a fantastic technology to look at, if we want to think about what people are going to do with with the next emerging technologies. And in
0: particular, the way they mm. sort of hack the intended use?
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Uh, I see. Okay. And from studying this, uh, we might... Do, would I make a moral mistake now by saying that we try to form hypotheses? Because now I seem to be stuck in a non, yeah, non-ethnographic eth- view Ethnographers
1: again. don't like hypotheses. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I was... I was but, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. but I think ethnographers ask questions.
0: They ask questions. And to... I'm
1: almost hypothesizing by saying, well, yeah. you know, people... We know this about mobile phones. Maybe people will do this um, with autonomous driving vehicles. Because I think it's one of the questions that we might want to ask ourselves in relation to what people would do with autonomous driving vehicles. I,
0: I guess the insight that the car that leaves the factory floor is not the car that's involved in the accident mm-hmm. is, yes. is, is pretty good already.
1: Yeah, um, and it will be fascinating to actually know how that pans, pans out. The other point though is that um, the car that's on the road will not be on the roads that we can imagine or experience at the moment because if the car that's on the road is not on the roads for another 10 or 15 years time, then again, it will actually be going into a scenario that we actually don't know enough mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. because we don't really know what the world's going to be like in 10 or 15 years' time. No. We have an idea. We probably, many of our hunches might be right, but there needs to be, we need to acknowledge that we really actually don't know what's going to happen next and um, our futures are really characterized by an enormous amount of uncertainty.
0: But this is what we want to reason about, right? We, we mm-hmm. want to so sort of have some kind of ownership into which direction this all is going.
1: Of course, we need to, we always mm. need to feel that um, we can do something um, to feel less uncertain and to feel confident enough about what's going to happen next to be able to feel comfortable.
0: I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, why we ex- spend,
1: that's why we spend so much time talking about questions about if autonomous driving cars are going to kill us um, and, and what benefits they're going to bring to society.
0: In order to what? Construct acceptance? No, that can't be it. No, it must in, be.
1: in order to be able to feel comfortable about the question of what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. and what, how they will become part of our worlds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, does do these findings aspire to influence uh, the design of this technology? Or do they just want to talk about it, inform the conversation about this? Or what, is, what yeah. would be the, the m- least aggressive way of putting this? The, um, mm-hmm. I guess I, this yeah. is, these are observational studies um, that, that m- I, I could sort of see a, value, a, a chain in, in, um, in the academic disciplines that, that starting from an mm-hmm. observational, highly subjective study, you might be inspired to, to do a controlled study mm-hmm and then sooner or later the uh, economists and the endocrinologists and the the neuroscientists come in there as well, and then you have this this fascinating and broad spectrum of various aspects of the same
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, technology you want to reason about, possibly to make it better or more useful or more fair? I actually believe
1: that anthropologists should be trying to intervene at at all levels. Mm -hmm. I believe that anthropology has a really significant role to play Mm -hmm. in society that hasn't been fully realized Mm -hmm. but to be able to play that role then anthropology has to change and be open to other disciplines Um, but I believe that the kinds of insights that we can produce through these studies should be having some influence at policy level they should also be influencing technology design and they should also be disseminated as a form of public scholarship that actually enables Different sectors of the public with different interests to be able to actually rethink how they might be engaging with technologies as futures progress. So,
0: that I I really like that. Mm. So, but but you say also we should
1: be engaging with other academics, of course, because we need to influence academic debates.
0: This is why they're here. So, so yeah, so I like that even more. And and you say anthropology, well, there is a there's certainly inside in anthropology is a history or tradition for. Activism is that the right word?
1: Yes, for criticism. Activism. Yes,
0: yes. Going back to Boas, certainly, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's yes. that's not that's not alien to to no. anthropology. Oh, maybe it's just that the anthropologist is also an activist, but the anthropological research is still descriptive. Or
1: Anthropological research can also take an activist mode. It I can, can okay. collaborate with an activist movement, for example. It can be done right. in collaboration ah. and can free, ah. feed insights and contribute to the, the aims of, of a movement as well. I think that at the moment, one of the, um, one of the most interesting modes of engagement beyond the discipline of anthropology that anthropologists have been um, participating in has been the development of design anthropology.
0: Design Anthropology,
1: anthropology yes. So design anthropology brings together anthropology and design in such a way that it goes beyond what each of those disciplines can do individually, but it also means that both anthropologists and designers have to let go a little bit of some of their own core principles
0: in order to accept
1: the methods and approaches of of the other discipline.
0: So what does design here mean? As an academic discipline or as the people... Maybe that's the same.
1: It could be designers or design researchers and designers and design researchers are actually sometimes the same people. So design researchers also design. And I would place design anthropology um, I guess more at that nexus between anthropological researchers and theorists and design researchers and practitioners so that... um, To be able to engage fully, the people involved need to be able to bridge the theoretical and the methodological and the practice-based dimensions of, of the relationships between those those disciplines but that doesn't mean that you wouldn't it needs to be two people it means that there might be a, a group of different people all have different levels of engagement with with theory methodology and practice across the disciplines all working together. Oh,
0: and, and practice again here as an academic as the study of mm. practice? Practice here Sh- Shatsky, mm. No
1: here practice very much in terms of what design practice and ethnographic practices so actually thinking of the work that a designer would do as a practice. I see. And the work but but similarly, trying to then, to correspond to that, define the work that an ethnographer would do as a practice as well.
0: So it's not it's not so much an anthropology of design, it's some kind of interaction between... Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Be, be, between actually designing something and communicating with an anthropologist who studies the context in which the design is being used?
1: Yes, You can weave between the disciplines in different ways in terms of the collaborations, but the main aspect of the research that will try to understand what other people are doing would be anthropological, but remember that designers also have really interesting techniques for learning about what people do and how people feel about things that they've already for many years been using to inform design. So this I only know Mm. from
0: the computer science perspective, as in uh, human-computer interaction. Is Mm. is that good enough a model for design, or should I think of engineers building bridges? I think think you need
1: to think more about participatory design. Oh, okay, that I know as well. um, So so participatory design and the way that participatory designers can work with anthropologists, is, is, I think, is really interesting. So this would
0: be the school of software development that, for instance, the school of software development that constructs new applications by interacting with the uh, intended users of the application.
1: It could be that, but it could go further than that. So it could actually think about um, participatory design as a designer... Working with a community or a group of people um, to together design a service or a process mm-hmm. or an object, and it can, it can cross over also to service design. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where anthropologists and designers can really come together, and and. Bring, bring different elements to the, this process. Now, the interesting thing about designers is that they've never had any fear or worry about the future. That's what design is about, doing things that go into what happens next. Whereas anthropologists have always very much held back and always only researched what's oh. already happened.
0: Oh, so the critical component is mm-hmm. sort of missing from design or, or am I being too brutal now?
1: I think that's a bit too brutal. Uh-huh. I think that... Um, we need to think about design as having a critical component in terms of its, its critique of, of social structures, its potential oh. critique as design activism, and, um, but its, its ability to actually confront the idea that we can work in a temporality that we don't know anything about Yes, right. which is what's going to happen next, which is what anthropologists have always worked in the past, because what anthropologists study has always already happened. What ethnography writes about is always the past.
0: Or maybe so the now. Always, but...
1: Well, no, because um, the problem with the now is that the ethnographic present, as it has been called, is something that's actually being condemned by anthropologists as being eth- ethically problematic because it objectifies people and crystallizes them into a fixed moment in the present. And it means that we can't recognize the ongoing processes of change that people are going through. Yeah, This makes a lot of sense. Thank you for it. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, thank you for all those words. I'm learning a lot.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the thing is that um, that focus on the past then has been the ethical refuge of anthropology. It's been the way we've actually enabled ourselves to be reassured that our work is ethical. so when we're confronted with the question of researching the future, then it opens up a whole, whole series of new Beautiful. questions which mm-hmm. um, can be interrogated ethically. Um, and also in terms of an ethics of responsibility, of actually assuming the burden of responsibility, not only of writing about people who've done things in the past, but assuming the burden of responsibility of considering how to represent possible futures and, and the ethics of describing futures that um, may be utopian or dystopian.
0: Is there some ethical tradition that you think anthropology is more wed to than another one?
1: Yes, specifically to the, the ethics of, of collaboration, of acknowledge, acknowledgement, of respect to the people who participate in our research, Power. of enabling them to t- also take shared responsibility with us for what we reveal and what we don't reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, ethics of consultation. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Ah, yeah. So when we're writing about people's futures that those people haven't yet experienced or lived, we might create those futures collaboratively with them. So we would consider with them what it's appropriate to communicate and not to communicate.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. So, so the source of information about the future is, among many other things, uh, um, collaboration with people who Live now and report their own experiences with things that we may want to extrapolate from. No, that's too much. We try to observe. We try to observe what happens now,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and take seriously the uh, the um, self-reported um, vision of a future yes. of the subject.
1: Yes, and that's one mode of investigation, to actually Mm -hmm. collaborate with people in the future, to use their experience of the future almost as probes through which they can help them to imagine different Mm -hmm. futures, and to do that in conversation. The other way is um, through um, workshop methods, which comes much closer to design research methods. So one of the projects that I've developed um, at RMIT over the last few years, and we're actually publishing a book this month, I think, or next month, very soon, called Uncertainty and Possibility. And um, that's a book that I've written with, um, based on a, a series of workshops that I developed, my colleague Yoko Akama, who's one of the other authors. And um, those workshops specifically aimed to create modes of uncertainty that people in the workshop would experience. So we could then harness those feelings of uncertainty in order to develop um, visions or versions or, or ideas of possible futures that would be different from the present. Some um, of them,
0: I guess, very scary and some of them utopian. and
1: Yeah, none of them were very scary, but no? some of them were a bit sci-fi. Um, oh, that's
0: <laughs> scary enough. No, but I, I, we have yes. had guests mm. as well on the, on the podcast where we reason about existential future risks. Yes. And yeah. those seem to be um, very, very hard to reason about, clearly.
1: Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, whoa. so this would be... Sounds as if that project would be quite transformative for anthropology because it requires mm-hmm. uh, a redefinition of the self-image of what
1: mm-hmm. what
0: the, uh, maybe not the goal, but certainly the method of the study is.
1: Yes, and it, it involves using new new methods of doing research. But what we've tried to do, again, I talked about bringing together anthropological and design practice. Um, what we've also sought to do in the workshops is develop, to develop what I've called blended practice, which has meant that we've, Developed the workshops um, very much in the tradition of design futures or design workshops, but we've also used um, video recording. So mm-hmm. now there's a tradition of design uh, video documentation. In design research, and designers document their workshops mm-hmm. in many ways and, and um, create marvellous resources of materials. But we've tried to actually combine that much more with ethnographic or visual ethnographic.
0: But you, um, s- you speak with some authority there as well, right? About, about visual ethnography yes, and yes. sensory ethnography and so on.
1: Yes, so we've tried to apply some of the methods from visual and sensory ethnography to the way in which we document um, the workshops. And so then essentially we've tried to, to bring together them Um, Design research and um, visual anthropology or or Mm -hmm. ethnographic research practice into the same process so that we can try to actually start to produce the materials differently Mm -hmm. and blend our practice actually in the very moments of making the knowledge that we're producing.
0: What does blended mean here? For me,
1: blended means creating a mode of researching that brings together one discipline with another discipline but it's not one or the other so it's not a version okay. of design mm-hmm. that has some anthropology mm-hmm. in it it's not a version of anthropology that has some design in it it's actually mm-hmm. something that brings those those two approaches together in a new way mm-hmm. which is challenging it hasn't yes. hasn't been an easy, an easy process sometimes because you will always inevitably i'm obviously inevitably pulled towards my own discipline and and wish to make my judgments and my analysis from that perspective. So it's also an interesting process of being pulled back when you're going too far into your own discipline. And
0: is there a lot of yeah. is a lot of pushback because you must be um, you must be challenging other people's um, disciplinary um, security a lot by, mm-hmm. by interacting across these disciplines yeah. in with this many particular
1: people. project. We went, I think we all went into the project wishing to be challenged. Mm-hmm. and and wanting Mm. to open up our own practice to other modes of practice and, and to learn from that process. And, and to do something different in terms of approaching right. the question of uncertainty and, and possibility. But I guess
0: it, it requires some kind of mutual mm. agreement that this is a good idea, that basically oh, stepping yes, out absolutely. of these disciplinary yes. boundaries is, is good mm-hmm. because we all feel very very much at home in, yeah. in but, the methods that we know. And
1: often, the- yeah, but often also I find that people acknowledge the limits of their own disciplines and they're keen to actually push outside them to explore what they can learn by engaging with new disciplines. And I, I think in my own case, because much of my work is methodological. I engage with people from many different disciplines, ranging from engineering to design to arts practice, filmmaking, safety research, um, health research, mm-hmm. um, and probably other things I can't remember, including, of course, the technology, emerging technologies research I'm involved in as well. And, and very often we forge those connections because we're always aware of what we can learn from each other and how we can actually push our own thinking in new ways, the thinking that I've done in our uncertainty and, and possibility research that I just spoke about has been very influenced by the research I've, I've done about um, safety. Um, and um,
0: so, what does is this? Are we back at the cars now with safety? Or? No,
1: no, we're back at um, construction site. We're back on oh. we're on construction sites, oh. and logistics um, workers, and um, um, nurses and occupational therapists to go and visit other people in their homes to care for them. Oh oh
0: man, and and from there you get to uncertainty because safety is basically a question about
1: Oh, Controlling uncertainty. Work, we, we looked at um, occupational worker mm-hmm. health and safety which is essentially an anticipatory regulatory framework that seeks to mitigate mm-hmm. the possibility of anything unsafe happening by imposing a series of guidelines and practices on, upon people who actually in reality improvise just like the people who drive their cars um, and, and have to sometimes hack the system so that they can actually work in a way that's really safe.
0: Oh um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know a bunch of good examples yeah. for this. Many, yeah. many, many. Yeah, many yeah. I guess I guess so, yeah. I, w- w- What I really mm. like about this entire um, tradition is the focus on people personalizing, changing, playing around with, toying with all these yes. artifacts. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the playfulness of all of this, including yeah. sometimes even the mode of presentation, is really yes. uh, uh, highly inspiring. Yeah. Sarah, thank you very much for coming. I got a lot out of, out of this. I know, feel moderately better. informed <laughs> about Fantastic. what this is. Thanks a lot for coming.
1: Okay.
0: And thank you very much. Thank you all to for, me. and thank you all for tuning in.